0: Awesome. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Great to see you. It's already been a great morning. It's warm in here, but that's alright. We, uh, today we're in week three of a four-week message series entitled The Deep End. The Deep End. I'm excited to, to, to speak about this with you. And for those of you who've been with us, you kind of have an idea of where this is all going. But today, let me spend a few minutes uh, recapping, um, the theme for our Deep End series. I've titled this The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Maturity. And what we're talking about through this four-week message series is what does it look like to grow from the beginning foundations of faith through to spiritual maturity? And we're using some analogies um, to discuss what this exactly might look like. Over the previous weeks, I've showed you uh, this, this little chart. And so what we said in week one was there are three stages of development. Okay, uh, Jesus used the farming analogy, seeds. And he said that a seed goes into the ground and the first thing that happens is it germinates, it comes to life and it comes to life and that's exactly what the message of the gospel does it comes to life in our hearts and then it begins to grow and produce something and so you have a plant a stalk a tree that begins to grow and the final stage is fruitfulness right 30 60 100fold fruitfulness and so you have this this process of spiritual development that Jesus lays out using seed Last week, we looked at maybe even a more helpful example found in in 1 John, where John uses the physical growth. So I'm going to refer to that a lot today because I think we all understand that there are different stages of development. We've all seen babies, we've all been little kids and teenagers and all of this kind of thing. And so we understand, he writes, I writes to you, uh, little children he writes to, he writes to young men and fathers, and this is all speaking about spiritual development. He says, I'm writing to you little children in the faith that your sins are forgiven and that you know who the Father is. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. I write to you fathers because you know him who's been from the beginning. And so John writes through these three categories. And so we're using this pool theme to talk about spiritual maturity. And so we've been using the analogy of the shallow end the deep end of the pool and the lifeguard. And to use this analogy, we're kind of comparing these three columns and we're saying, hey, the shallow end of the pool is where the fundamentals of swimming are learned. Isn't that right? That's where you learn to paddle. It's where you learn to hold your breath. is where you learn how to swim. The basics of swimming, which allows you then to graduate into the deep end where you're doing whip kicks and backflips and racing and all those exciting things where you become a strong swimmer in the deep end, not the shallow end. And then eventually you move on to become a lifeguard, someone who is watching out caring for and and also teaching others how to swim so there's this progression that we see and there's a couple key ideas i want to share with you before we dive into things this morning the first is this that each stage is good and necessary okay each stage i got a little picture of a pool here and when we look at the swimming pool the shallow end is necessary you want to have a shallow end so that new swimmers can learn how to swim you with me And then you want to have a deep end. It's also good because that's where you can master your swimming skills and you can dive deep and all that stuff. And you also need to have lifeguards who are watching this whole process, making sure it's done safely and done well. So we've got these three stages. And what I wanted to say was that each one, each one is good and necessary. I don't want, when we're thinking about spiritual things, we want a church where there are people entering in the shallow end and learning the fundamentals of their faith learning about who Jesus is, learning that God loves them, learning that they're a child of God, learning what the Bible says about forgiveness of sin and grace. But then we don't want people just to stay in the shallow end. We want them to grow and develop so they get to the deep end where they begin to dive into the scriptures and they, they can actually defend themselves and they can actually know what the scripture, they discover their gifts in the deep end, their strengths, and they develop them so they become leaders and they become able um, to, to be competent in all spiritual things. So you got the shallow end's important, the deep end's important. We also want to have a church where there's lots of lifeguards. Those who have the mindset, who are watching out for danger, and who are protecting others, and teaching others how to swim. And so again, in an ideal healthy church, we would have like, I don't know, 30% in the shallow end, 30 or 40% in the deep end, and another 30% lifeguards. And, and the, the thing is, 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 we want to see people progressing in their faith, and the more people we have in the lifeguard chairs the more people that can come to faith and be served and protected and cared for. Is that make it sense? So the idea is that none of these are bad, they're all good, but we want to see progression in that direction. Each stage, the second thing, builds upon the last. So if we go back to our pool image, the things you learn in the shallow end. So at the beginning of your faith journey, you're going to learn some things about yourself and about God, and those things are foundational. They don't go away. You build upon them as you go into the deep end of the pool. Right? You take your swimming stroke and you expand it. You go deeper. And so the the idea is that this is necessary, and then this is necessary, because the things you learn in the deep end, the strengths you gain, and the ability that you have uh, in the deep end actually prepares you to be a lifeguard. I finished last week's message with a story about when I was a teenager, I thought I was pretty fast. I was beating a lot of the kids. They might have been younger than me, but that's that's not important. I I was swimming faster. And if we were racing across the pool, and one of the lifeguards that came off duty was like, hey, can I join your race? sure i thought i'm gonna smoke this you know lifeguard all he does is sit around all day lifeguard got in the pool and as we swam across i got here turned around i thought i was in the lead until i looked up and the lifeguard was almost at the other side and i thought to myself oh my goodness there's levels to this thing and and i remember having the thought that i didn't realize that the best swimmers are often not even in the deep end they're in the lifeguard chairs they're putting sunscreen on the little kids They're making sure everybody's hydrated. They're in the shallow end with the kid and the floaties going, yeah, stroke, 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 trying to teach them to swim. So the best swimmers aren't always in the deep end. And that was like a mind-blowing moment. And so we're using these analogies to talk about the three stages. And my hope in this series was that every person listening will be able to identify the three stages and be able to identify where you're at and what your next steps are to continue to progress. As I said last week, many people get stuck in the deep end. Got a little image here uh, coming up of uh, getting stuck So, people begin their faith journey, they learn about God, they learn about His love, they learn some scriptures, and then they progress fairly quickly, often into the adolescent or the deep end. And as I said last week, for many people growing up in church, you thought somebody was spiritually mature if they knew a lot of Bible verses, if they were a good leader. And if they had gifts and talents, like, oh, that person can really sing and worship. Oh, that person can speak. Well, that person can prophesy. Well, that person has a special gift, and they're just really, really, really caring. And it's like, so these gifts, we thought that was spiritual maturity. But really, what we learned last week is those strengths are actually part of the adolescent stage. And there's something beyond the deep end. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. What's beyond the deep end? And what I want to do is actually share with you a framework for what actual spiritual maturity is. Looks like. The reason why this is important, I've been saying this each week, we, our expectations of other people are dependent on the stage and age of the of the individual. Would you not agree with that? Right? I've noticed little kids, two, three years old, they can walk up to complete strangers, stare at them in the eyes. Hi, my name's Joey. Can I hold your hand? Right? And, and it's like, oh, isn't that adorable? If you do that as an adult, they're going to call the cops, right? Like, it's scary. When someone's staring, Hi staring in the eyes, can I hold your hand? (laughs) No, you can't. You know, clothes are optional for kids. They're definitely not optional for adults. You, You understand what I'm saying? So in the same way that as we, as we go through the stages, so as a little kid, there's very little expectation. There's lots of love and grace. And as they grow and they learn, the expectations rise. But so does the independence and freedom, and so do the strengths and gifts, but we expect more. And it's the same thing in the church. As people begin their faith journey, we have no expectation on you. Just just come, just grow, just be here. And as you grow and develop in your faith, more expectation, more is required of you. Does that make sense? So, a lot of people get stuck in the deep end. I said this last week, that spiritual adolescence, that young adult, teen, young adult stage, is where most Christians stop their growth. And I gave some reasons for that, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more. But I would like to suggest to you today um, that there is something beyond the deep end, and I would like to suggest to you today that there's room for you and me, wherever we're at, to continue to grow. And you know, the idea of a Christian is not, I've said this before, Christian is not a set of beliefs. It's a desire to become more like Jesus. That's what it is. And it's a transformation that takes place. So here's what Paul the Apostle says. We're going to be in, in Philippians Chapter 2 and 3 today. And in chapter 3, here's what Paul says. He says, not that I have already obtained this. He's talking about spiritual maturity. Or I'm already perfect. He's like, I haven't arrived. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. May I humbly suggest to you today that if Paul the Apostle, one of the authors of the New Testament. If Paul the Apostle, the man who helped lead the gospel into the Gentile church. If he had not arrived and had not been made perfect yet, then guess what? perhaps you and I have not arrived. Would you agree? If you agree, turn to someone near you and say, you haven't arrived yet. Just just let them know. You know, say it with confidence. All right? <laughs> so today, uh, we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 2. But before we do, I need to warn you. I need to warn you. This is not going to be a snowflake sermon. You know the snowflake sermon? You're unique, and you're loved, and... And you're beautiful, just like you are. And that's all true. That's all true. But that's the shallow end sermon. And this isn't even going to be the, the deep end adolescent sermon where it's like you're gifted and called and God wants you to grow and become all you can be. Like, that's a great sermon. It's not going to be that. Today is going to be the sermon for the, those who long to be spiritually mature. And the call isn't going to be any of that. It's going to be, take up your cross, follow me. Surrender your life. Give it all. So, everyone's really excited about that. But that's, that's where we're going today. So I just wanted to warn you, no matter where you're at, this is, this is what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is going to actually outline for us the call to spiritual maturity. And I want you to see that, as I said last week, spiritually mature people are people who do know the scriptures, who do have gifts, who have them developed, who are strong, but also there's a shift, a radical shift in the way they view themselves, others, and the world. Here's how he says it. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. One of the things I've noticed is that when when I was a teenager, I was always comparing myself to everybody. I was trying to figure out how I fit in and what, you know, where do people like me and am I wearing the right stuff? And it was all about like, it was all about me and others and all that stuff. And he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So there's this process as we become spiritually mature, where we shift our focus from ourselves to others. That's going to be key to spiritual maturity. He continues in the next passage to say this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Now, I need to stop and say this is not bad. It's not bad to look out for yourself. It's not bad to protect yourself. It's not bad to make sure you're healthy. You've all heard the uh, you know, the old analogy of being in the airplane. The mask come down, put yours on first. right? So we have to take care of ourselves. We have to be strong, but... A spiritually mature person will also turn their attention towards the interests of others. So, it's not just, hey, I can take care of myself spiritually. It's like, I can take care of myself and provide care and nurture for somebody else. Is This making sense to everybody. All right, let's move on to verse 5. Continues, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul's going to point to Jesus and his mindset. And he's like, we want to have a mindset like Jesus, because that's what spiritual maturity is all about who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was as high as he could be, as glorious as could be. He, had, you know, he was at the top of the, you know, of the org chart, so to speak. But he says that that, that wasn't what, what Christ was after. He wasn't after that. Here's what he continues to say. But he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. I love the phrase emptied himself. I underline it because... Do you know what it feels like to empty yourself? Do you know what it feels like to give your all and have nothing left? I'm seeing a few people nodding at me. I I think of, I don't know why I think of this, when I hear that phrase, emptied himself, I often think of of new mothers. And, you know, some of you are like, yeah, I know, I was there. I wasn't, but it's that four in the morning and you feel like you're going to be sick because you haven't slept and you have this little child that you care so much about and it's literally sucking the life out of you. And you're exhausted and you feel like I've given everything. I have nothing else to give. And of course, that's a natural example. But many people have served and led and and leaned in and taken criticism. And and you're just, you're in that place where it's just like, I have nothing left. I've literally emptied myself. And and what Paul says, is he's like, this is what Jesus did for us. He gave it all. He gave his life. He gave his love. He gave his everything for you and me. And he invites us to progress to spiritual maturity and for us to do that for others. Does this make sense? being born in the likeness of man. It continues and finishes with this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus took this emptying of himself so completely that he would ultimately give his life so that we could have life. That's the invitation for the spiritually mature, that you would empty yourself, that you would give your life for others to strengthen them, to coach them, to protect them feed them this is the call of spiritual maturity so what I want to do today last week we had a little grid and we said here's what a child the you know the attributes of a a little child and here's the attributes of an adolescent and we're going to do that again uh, with adolescent and mature and so here we go if you throw that up for me the deep end is all about independence I said last week infancy the shallow end is all about being dependent kids need their parents to feed them protect them As you become an adolescent, a teenager, a young adult, it's all about this, independence. I can do it myself. I can feed myself. I can earn my own money. I can can take care, I can protect myself. I have a faith of my own. Independence is the goal in this phase. But a spiritually mature person becomes dependable. And that means, as we just heard, that you are able to care for yourself, that you are able to stand on your own two feet. You have a faith of your own, but you can also care for someone else. So I want to do an analogy. If you can, if you have the zoom lens on the camera, I want you to zoom in so everyone at the back can see. In my little box here, I have this great example. This is this is a little duckling. Let's put him there. Yeah, there he is. You see him, little duckling. Now a, a little duckling, if it's left in a pond by itself, probably not going to survive. Why? Because little duckling needs mama duck, daddy duck, to not only feed it but keep it protected from predators, teach it you know where to go, what not you know, how to find food, all that stuff. And so this little duckling, if it has care and nurture because it's completely dependent, will eventually grow to become an adolescent duck. Okay, so we got a pig one. And an adolescent duck is physically mature. Okay, so an adolescent duck can fly. Adolescent duck is probably faster and stronger than mom and dad, and probably lets them know all the time how strong and fast he is. And this adolescent duck eventually will will have a desire within it for independence. Adolescent duck will actually, once it's old enough, will fly away from mom and dad and will eventually meet up with another duck. (laughs) All right? And and move from being independent, right? Like, I can do everything by myself. I can protect myself. I can fly fast to all of a sudden finding another duck, getting married, okay? This is a Christian duck It gets married and becomes, another word we could say, instead of just dependable, we could say interdependent interdependent have you noticed this that when people become in church so again when i was a teenager i remember thinking i knew everything i remember thinking i got this i can do everything myself and and that's actually one of the signs i said last week that one of the signs that somebody is spiritual adolescent a teenager spiritually they'll say something like pastor i don't need to come to church anymore i can study the bible for myself pastor i don't, I don't need a small group i got the Holy Spirit. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. You do have the Holy Spirit. And you can read and study the Bible for yourself. They're like, I got this. It it screams this. Independence. I need my independence. I'm going to do my thing my way. That's spiritual adolescence. But have you noticed that when people become mature, they become interdependent. They find another person. And for many people, they'll marry that person, and they'll essentially say, you and me are gonna do the rest of our life together till death do us part. And even when we don't like each other, and even when things are hard, we're gonna stay accountable, we're gonna call each other on our junk, and we're gonna grow together through it all. That's called interdependence. I've noticed that the most spiritually mature people that I know, pastors, leaders of big organizations, the smart ones, actually, they're not like, hey, I'm the leader of an organization, I'm spiritually mature. You know what they, they have counselors, They have mentors, they have coaches, they have accountability teams. They have like all these things in place because they know even though they could do it faith on their own, it's smarter not to. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. It's like, I need people. I could be a lone wolf. I'm strong enough, but I'm better in a pack. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. Is this making sense? Helping anybody this morning. Awesome. Let's look at the next list. We move from knowledge. Little kids, okay, they don't know much. But in the adolescent stage, again, teenage, young adult, for using that analogy, we we learn all about the Bible, and we learn about theology, and we learn about who we are in Christ, and we learn all these great things. I said last week, I came home from Bible college, and I was telling my parents all the stuff they didn't know, and I was quoting scriptures, and they probably just sitting there nodding their heads like, okay, yeah, yeah, spiritual adolescence, Mr. Brain over here. What I didn't have was wisdom. And wisdom can be defined as the proper application of knowledge. Knowing what to do with what you know. That's wisdom, right? We all know how to lose weight, stay skinny, and get in shape. We all know what we should eat and not eat. We know what we should do and not do. But do we do it? Nobody looking around. Especially not me. I'm getting a little round. Speaking of that. It's having the knowledge, knowing how to do something. Knowing what is true and actually doing it is something very, very different. Am I right? That's wisdom, and a spiritually mature person moves from knowledge to wisdom. I said this last week, you can know the right thing, and you can say, hey, you're living the wrong way, and hey, you should be helping, and you should be doing this. That's knowledge, but without wisdom, you'll do more damage than good, right? Because the last thing everyone needs is a truth bomb. What they need is someone to lovingly come alongside and guide them into the right way. So knowledge to wisdom, these these are the markers of spiritual maturity. Next one, we go from developing gifts. So again, in the adolescent stage, what is my gift and calling? What title? What can I contribute to the church? How could I be recognized for serving and saving thousands for Jesus? You know, it's all about me and what I can do and contribute. But all of a sudden, when you move into maturity, it starts to become about developing others. It's like the, it's like the NHL player that retires and becomes a coach. It's like I was in the spotlight and I was developing my slap shot. And now I'm going to use everything I know and everything I have to help these young athletes that are coming on the team to become all that they could be. That's the mindset in the heart of the spiritually mature. Does that make sense? So again, it's, it's moving from me-centered to others-centered. And this is the call of God on each of our lives when we're ready to step into maturity. We move from, from strength, from being strong. You go to the next one for me. Strong to meek, to meek. Now, I know when you hear the word meek, you're probably thinking, meek is weak. But that's actually not the case. Uh, the, the word that's translated into Greek, into meek, is actually the word praus- And it's this idea of like strength under control. When this Greek word was used, they would talk about like a war horse. Super strong, super dangerous, capable, but yet controlled, under control. And that's the idea. See, when we're growing in our faith, we become strong. We learn things. We, We have gifts and abilities. And it's all about like, oh, Satan, you got nothing on me. I'm stomping on your neck, right? Strength. But becoming meek is about taking all that strength and using it at the right time in the right way to protect and not to destroy, to guard, right? And not to, to gain advantage. So meekness, what did Jesus say about the meek? He said, the meek will what? Inherit the earth. That's what he's talking about, strength, under control, okay? That's what we want to see. Um, next, uh, we talk about achieving, right? What can I achieve? That's the primary question of an adolescent, and that's true spiritually. It's like, what, can, what are my gifts? What can I do? How can I help? What can I? It's all, again, achieve, 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 achieve. Which is why I said spiritual adolescents in the deep end often get back into works. Because they start making their faith all about what they do and contribute. And how they're growing. And how much less sin there is in their life. It's all achieve, achieve, achieve. But spiritual maturity begins to say, what can I give? What can I contribute? How can I help others? That's the idea that we see here. And then the last one. And we're going to move on. Is this. Self-discovery. Again. None of these things are bad. In fact, you need all this before you get to this, okay? Remember what we said at the beginning? You start as an infant, you move into adolescence, and then eventually you get beyond the deep end, and you're over here. And we move from self-discovery where it's like, what is my calling? What are my strengths? What can I contribute? And it becomes death to self. That's what every good parent does. Eventually, Willing to give their lives. So we got our analogy. We got our little duck. Okay? Little duck here? Grows into an adolescent. Eventually, that duck beats, becomes interdependent, and has a little flock of birds of their own. I was walking through the office the other day and I saw these all these little ducklings nested in the back of this big duck, and I thought, this is a perfect example of spiritual maturity. If you want to know what spiritual maturity looks like, it looks like that. Sometimes overwhelmed. Okay, That's what it looks like, spiritual maturity. And so all of a sudden, you've got all these little ducklings that are dependent on mom and dad to protect and guide. And eventually what will happen is the parent ducks will teach. By the way, someone after the first service left me a whole note of facts. Where is it? Here it is. Because I, I wasn't sure. I'm like, is it called a gaggle of ducks? No, it's a geese. So somebody wrote, so it's actually um, a waddling, a flock, a badling, a herd, or a brood. I don't. There's a bunch of ducks, and the ducks, eventually, eventually, if the if the mature ducks are doing their job, the little ducklings become dependent. They begin to learn how to swim and feed themselves. You get the idea. And eventually, each of these little ducklings grows to, to adolescence, and then they tell their parents they don't know anything. Okay, and they fly off in their independence, and eventually, once again, become dependable. And another generation begins. This is, this is the process. I'm going to leave this here as a representation of spiritual maturity. Is any of this making sense today? Okay? Spiritual maturity. It's like, God loves me, and I'm, and, and I'm His family, and I'm forgiven. That's where we start. And He cares, and then He calls us higher, and we become strong in our faith. And, and we're able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we're able to develop our gifts and talents, but eventually we're going to use them for the sake of others. Spiritual maturity. It looks... It looks, like, it looks like this. So, I want to do our pool stereotypes next. And, uh, and then I'm going to close out with a few points. And we've been doing this each week. We've kind of been talking about stereotypes for each of the uh, the, you know, the shallow and the deep end of the lifeguard. So, these are lifeguard stereotypes. Um, and so, if this is you, repent and we'll move on. Here's the first one, the enabler. The enabler. Okay. Everyone has seen the parent that allows their kid to get away with everything. And if you're like, I don't know that parent. It could be you're that parent, okay? But it's like, you've seen the little kids up beating up on somebody that's like, oh yeah, you know, it's, look, they made a friend. You know, the enabler. An enabler is somebody who allows someone else to practice self-destructive behaviors and thereby becomes worse. And if you, if you let a little kid bite and kick and punch and they're not corrected, because those are normal behaviors, but if they're not corrected, that little kid could turn into... You know, something much worse if it's not corrected. And so you don't want to be an enabler. So within the church, we need spiritual parents that are guiding and coaching and correcting uh, those who are new to the faith so that they're not going off the rails. Here's the second one that we have, the overprotective, right? This is the parent that wraps their kid in bubble wraps and helmets and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't want my kid to get hurt ever. I don't want them to experience any hardship because if they do, poor little muffin will be destroyed and so it's the overprotective and this happens in church right we could say hey if you're new to faith come into this church and just sit in the pews for the next 10 years and we're just going to love on you we're going to pray for you we're going to sing and we're going to do all this stuff but we're never going to call you higher we're never going to invite you to change and this is what we'd be doing because all of those little bumps and bruises and all those experiences and all those little challenges that happen along the way are what caused you to grow and develop you with me and sometimes the best thing for your kid to do is to fall down and learn how to get back up and learn how to deal with bullies and all of that stuff. So it's the same in the church. We want to protect people, but also give enough grace and room for them to grow. Here's the third one. We have the distracted. Okay. I remember being at the pool when I was, uh, when I was a kid and you know, the parents who were supposed to be watching aren't, and the kids are running on the deck and jumping with their heads right near the concrete and like just, it just, all this stuff's going on and it's like, whoa, pay attention. And so many spiritual parents within the church are distracted. They're just not in tune with what's going on. In Jesus' sower analogy, in Mark 4, he actually says uh, that many of these plants would shoot up. That's the adolescent stage. And they're just about to get to fruitfulness. And it says they were getting choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. So there are things. It's like, hey, I'm just too busy with my life and my stuff. I don't even have time to care for and protect those who are new to faith. So that's the distracted. And the last and this is perhaps the worst, the absent. When there's no parent, when there's no one loving, supporting, encouraging, teaching, feeding little children, it's, it's just the worst. Because these little kids are so dependent and they need those who are going to come alongside them and coach and mentor and encourage them. So with the last few minutes that we have, I want to um, I share with you, I was thinking about this a lot. I was thinking about how Many Christians develop through infancy into adolescence. They get stuck in the deep end and they never get beyond the deep end. And I was thinking to myself, after all these years in ministry, I thought, what are the reasons for that? Why do people grow in their faith to a certain point and stop? And three things came to mind, so I want to share them with you. Is that okay? You sure? <laughs> all right. Everyone's really... Uh, <clears throat> it's warm in here. <laughs> Let's just say, everyone's just... Uh, Three reasons. Here's the first one. Unanswered questions. i a nickel for every time I had a conversation with somebody about this. You see, people enter, they come to church for the first time and they hear about Jesus like, this is the best thing ever. And they accept him and they begin their journey as babes in the faith and they begin to grow and they begin to grow. And they think to themselves, I'm a little kid. Like I'm new to this thing. I don't, there's all kinds of things I don't know about God and about the world and why all this stuff happens. And so therefore, they look at the kids in the deep end using this analogy and they go, when I get to the deep end, I'm going to understand. And then they get to the deep end and they realize they have just as many unanswered questions. And I think this is really important because, you know, I've been a Christian for over 40 years and I probably have more questions now in some respects than I did when I was younger. I mean, when I was done Bible college, I knew all the answers. And now I got a bunch of questions. But if you believe the lie that the purpose of the Bible and the purpose of church is to answer all of your questions, you're missing the point. Because there's an aspect to this whole thing that is faith, where we trust God. And the truth of the matter is, even if you were to say, well, you know, I've been in church for 10 years and I've gotten to this place and I still don't have all my questions answered. I'm going to just say, welcome to the club. <laughs> and there there is a moment where we have to just trust And that doesn't mean that there aren't good answers to a lot of your questions, and it doesn't mean you can't learn and grow, but it's just really, really, really. So many people, they get so far in their faith and they're like, I have a question and nobody can answer it, I'm out of here. Or they'll just stay where they are. And we have to trust God. Even if you were to say, I'm walking away from my faith, I'm walking away from church, I'm gonna be a humanist, an atheist, I'm just gonna like trust in science. All of that still requires just as much faith. Because it does we could get into that but the point is unanswered questions should not be the reason that you stop your progression it should not be the reason you leave faith here's the second reason hypocrisy in the church when I was a little kid I went to church and everyone looked so nice they had suits and ties and dresses on and their hair and their makeup and everyone's like praise the Lord you know God is good all the time all the time God is good I'm like, what is going on and I saw this happening and then over the years as I grew I realized these people aren't perfect pastor's not perfect that's for sure the elders and the deacons aren't perfect those people just got a divorce that kid's a rebel where were his parents like there's just all this stuff right someone falls into sin and I remember getting to the stage in my development where I started to notice stuff that I didn't notice when I was new in the faith right if you come here and you're like first three months in the church like this church is amazing and everybody's perfect just stick around a little while (laughs) you'll discover that is not the case there's no perfect churches Because there's no perfect people. And you will find hypocrisy in this church and every other church in this city. Hopefully, not too much. Hopefully, we're all working on it. You will find hypocrisy in the government, in every party. You'll find hypocrisy in every business, in every organization. Why? Because there's hypocrisy in all of us. And so, if you, and this, I remember being young in the faith and thinking, I'm spiritually mature. I can see all the problems, I see what's really happening in this church. Therefore, I'm spiritually mature, and I'm pointing it all out, and I'm leaving. That's not a spiritually mature response. A spiritually mature person recognizes there is hypocrisy, and there always will be. And instead of pointing the finger, instead of leaving, they go, God, do a work in me. Cleanse my heart. Help me be more like you. To set an example for your children. Let me be a difference maker. Let me be salt and light here, instead of the laser pointer that's pointing out what everyone else is doing wrong. Does that make it sense? So hypocrisy is one of the reasons people leave church. And I understand it, because there will always be hypocrisy in the church. But spiritual maturity is moving beyond that. Does that make it sense? Here's the last one. I tried to find a nicer way to say this, but selfishness. <laughs> that's the last reason. Because at some point, you start your faith journey, and you're progressing along, and you're growing, and, and the expectations are coming up, and you're stepping into all of that freedom, and you're developing your gifts. And at some point, there's the call to say, die to yourself maybe it's your money god you can have all my life but not my money maybe it's your relationship maybe it's your business maybe it's your family whatever it is there's something god's like you need to die to that like no way no way and it's what keeps us from progressing to spiritual maturity and some people again they'll just they'll just leave but the call the call is to spiritual maturity I want to read that text one last time and we're going to pray you can throw it back up for me MJ our key text right at the end have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he enabled emptied himself taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross that's the call with spiritual maturity. Next week, as we close up the series, I want to show our church a roadmap for how we're going to do this. And there's going to be a specific call to stepping up into spiritual maturity, and what that actually means, roles within the church, and explaining all that next steps. But we'll close with this idea. None of us would be here today if there wasn't somebody who emptied themselves. For me, there's unnamed Sunday school teachers that prayed for me, that taught me the Bible verses. I'll never know their name, the side of heaven. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, friends, mentors, youth group leaders. I don't even remember them, but they invested in me. They emptied themselves so I could be here. And my guess is if you were to reflect on your life, you would say the same. They were spiritually mature people who carried you on their back until you were strong enough to carry yourself. The call of God is that you would take that strength, take your ability and gifts, and develop more like Christ so that you could be the one who carries others. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Every person listening, every person here in the room, thank you for the call. You invite us to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow you. Lord, I pray no matter where people are at in their journey, whether they're new to faith, whether they're spiritual adolescents in the deep end, Lord, that we would continue to move in your direction, that we would continue to be more like you and that you would invite us into the deep end and beyond so that we might empty ourselves and give our lives for the sake of the kingdom, and for the sake of others. And we pray this in Jesus' name.